Housing Studios. On this episode of Low Culture. The ideas that Kevin has are frightening. He's a douche. A lift, when it, when it falls down the shaft, there's so many redundancies. Where it feels like someone is just stupid. My Power Rangers and my stuffed teddy bear and pizza. He shoots him in the nuts. I want to say porn. Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> Episode 3, Home Alone. Welcome everyone to episode three of Low Culture. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have Daniel, Jester, and Kim as always. This episode is all about Home Alone, the classic Christmas movie. So before we get into anything, I want to do the Wikipedia readout so we can get that out of the way. Home Alone is a 1990 American comedy film written and produced by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. It stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, On Heard, and Catherine O'Hara. Culkin stars as eight-year-old Kevin, who defends his burglars, Harry and Marv, after his family accidentally leaves him behind on their vacation. With a total gross of $476.7 million, it was the highest-grossing live-action comedy until The Hangover Part 2 in 2011, and made Culkin a child star. It received two Golden Globe Awards, blah, blah, blah. Okay, as well as two Academy Award nominations for Best Original Score, which was composed by John Williams, and Best Original Song for Somewhere in My Memory. I don't remember that song at all. Since its release, Neither. Home Alone has been frequently listed as one of the best Christmas films of all time and created a film franchise, including Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Home Alone 3. But to start us off, our usual question, do you remember the first time you watched this movie? And I'd like to start today with Kim. So back when I was a kid, my parents would they go to a store right, where they would rent videotapes, VHS. I remember the... I remember the store, it was, it's gone now, it's long gone, right? Along with every other VHS store that's out there. And they would- You remember take, what it was called? No, absolutely not. It was probably some Chinese name because it was like this family-run neighborhood shop thing probably was completely unable to withstand the onslaught of streaming and DVDs and all of that. It even had, I think, what was it called? LPs? No, LDs? Laserdiscs? Yeah. yeah, and they had, we didn't have a laser disc player, so I would constantly look at the exception and be like, that is, that I don't, no, man, that must be great. But apparently it was just future. A, a obsolete, yes, in the future and also now the past, because it was obsoleted so fast, and I think the shop could had to hang on to that. Anyway, we watched every movie, all kinds of movies. It was from there, all, along with all my memories of, of clowns, uh, and they would just pick, and sometimes they would do it so often that, that's how I picked up Cantonese, because it's not from my mom, because she would incessantly watch Cantonese serials from Hong Kong, and that's how I can speak Cantonese now, which is weird. And I think it actually is actually Hong Kong accented rather than Singapore accented because she watched so many of them. And that was how we watched it. So Home Alone was one of them. I think I also watched two and three, although I have zero memory of those two. And only the vaguest memory of Home Alone one, because I think I watched it once. It never really played on TV in Singapore. And so it was it's just like one of a long stream of many movies of questionable quality because when you watch many many movies it doesn't really matter about the quality it just is sheer quantity at that point so when i watched it a lot of it was quite surprising to me again uh, same as lion king which i think i watched once as well in that in that stream unlike yeah Jurassic park which was like my first in cinema movie this is just like one of a billion i i also actually don't remember the first time i saw home alone but i have a similar memory of renting it from one of the vhs rental places close to my house and you're going to be surprised, but this was a time when the VHS rental place was right next to the barber I used to go to. Yeah. No comment the there. That was a time in my life where the barber was a fairly regular fixture in my, in my life. And uh, right next door was the VHS place. And I remember going there 
generally, not every Friday, but fairly regular every other Friday night with my dad or my mom or both. And usually they'd have all these really shitty movies that no one's ever heard of, like all these straight to video bullcrap. Occasionally you'll see like this one sort of, oh, Home Alone, I've heard of that movie. It's supposed to be good. And you're like, oh, do you have this? He'll say no. And then you come back two weeks later and you're like, yes, you can put your name on the waiting list or whatever, right? So I do remember watching it at home. What I remember the most about that movie is it really set the impression of what I thought America was. Like for me, that was the quintessential American movie. That's how America is. That's how the families are. That's how much wealth there is there. That's how much food they have. That's how they speak. That's how they travel. Like every, that was very American for me. So for the longest time, Home Alone actually set my expectations of what America was and what generally what the the West, if I were to use a very broad, vague term was for me. When I'm rewatching it now, it's, seems so quaint and I'm like no one like it's just it's the world has changed so much and thankfully I have as well but it's so weird to watch it again and have this completely different surreal experience while watching the movie I'm curious to ask what movie changed your opinion about the west you saw little weapon and it was like ah that's how America is in the end (laughs) (laughs) ah Mad Max Australia No, I, I think the re- the movie that really had an impact on me was Daddy Ball's Trainspotting, which I saw while I was in university. It was the first time I saw a movie which showed poverty in in a in a Western sort of you know a Caucasian country, right? Which is Scotland. It wasn't really the U.S., but that really kind of blew me away. I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize. I mean, when I saw it, I'm like, of course, of course, that's. That must exist, right? There's no reason why that shouldn't exist. But it, for some reason, that really, I was like, oh my God, that changed my view of everything and made me do research and just be more aware of things. So yes, it was Trainspotting. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. We should talk about Trainspotting. It is a pretty good movie, yeah. But, but what about you, Jester? What, uh, when was, do you remember the first time you saw Home Alone? What did you make of it? I did not watch it in the cinema. I think, I don't remember going to my parent with my parents to the cinema at any point in my life. We did rent uh, movies, but I think Home Alone, we watched uh, on one of like Christmas Eve night. My father's name day is on the 26th of December. We I'm would sorry, spend... What, what, sorry, what's, what's the name? My father's name name day not birthday name day it's, it's something in the so, west that didn't appear in any of Imran's movies so you need to explain yeah. the context yeah it wasn't in so, transporting uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh i think this is a very orthodox christian thing uh, they do have catholics do have it but it's mostly orthodox christians that have it it's basically the day that your saint of the same name either died or was born oh uh, you celebrate your name that day as well people are, are not expected to know when your birthday is but they're expected to call you on your name day because everybody so, knows that that day is your name day so it's more important in a way than your own birthday yeah <laughs> if if you're a good christian i guess <laughs> when is your birthday and when is your name day my birthday is on the 28th of august and my name day is on the 15th of december and the 25th, because I have two names, but yeah. We already so, can't remember the first one, so I'm not sure why you have two <laughs> names, but good to know. So to yeah, Lefteris is the uh, on the 15th of, of December, and Christos, which is my second name, and the name of Jesus Christ, it's on Christmas Day. 25th. I had no idea your second name was Christos. I, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. Yeah, see, I have two names, and I go by a third one for some reason. I have four <laughs> names, so you know. Yeah, we get to you, we, Daniel. We'll, we'll cover all your names. Right now, we're still talking to, to Jester, if you don't mind. So, I, <laughs> how Home Alone was played on Christmas Day on Greek television. Christmas night, we're starting to prepare food 
to celebrate my dad's name day for the next day. So we would stay up all night to make a turkey. Like we would have people over for lunch and we would, my dad would like bake the turkey for like 12 hours in the oven or something like that, something crazy like that. So we would watch movies on television while we were preparing food in the kitchen. And I remember my dad really laughing his ass off at the slapstick on this movie. Like he was enjoying this movie a lot. And yeah, I can understand. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous. As it's supposed to be, like it was, it was designed to be funny. So at least there. I mean, I learned so much about you in these last sort of five minutes than I have over the last like eighteen months. I think. <laughs> Just, so, so thank you for sharing, Daniel. If you think you can top that, oh, you said you have four names, yeah. So, so he can, yeah. Uh, so I can, but, yeah. But if you if you have the a time, also let us know if what you remember the first time you saw Home Alone. I. Most likely didn't see it in the movie theaters because I was never going to the movie theaters as a kid. I have a large family. And so I think my parents were like, okay, we, we just don't bring those all four of them at the same time to the movie theaters or everyone's going to hate us, I guess. So I probably saw it on TV, most likely around Christmas time. Uh, that's one of the movie that comes every year on French TV around Christmas time. Uh, the other one being Le Père Noël est une ordure, which is is a French movie, so you'll have never seen it, but it's this sort of movie every single year around Christmas, you know they're going to play it on TV. I do remember not much about the movie except the final 30 minutes until rewatching it just now. And I kind of thought that the entire movie was the last 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, oh there's a lot of stuff that happens before that. It yeah. actually makes a lot more sense now. But for whatever <laughs> reason, my brain had completely forgotten all the rest. And I was like, it's just him against the robbers. And that's all that happens. All, all those traps and, it, and everything. And yeah. I had the I had the same experience watching it and I was watching it with Anna and she kept saying when are they going to enter the house and I'm like that's yeah. a good point like we're like an hour into the movie like when is this yeah. going to actually happen and I was like oh it's just literally it's just the last like, 20 to 25 minutes it's not even like a full half hour I think yeah, yeah that's yeah. all I remember it's just the, the traps the 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 thing below the windowsill the the nail in the in the step you know the hot uh, doorknob all that stuff like yeah. everything else kind of just absolutely same here same, same. I do remember the the interaction she had with a cashier. That that was the the other thing that yeah. I had in the last twenty minutes. The interaction she had with a cashier. I, I always loved that. I'm not gonna tell you where I live because you're a stranger. Are you here all by yourself, ma'am? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. I, I did not remember any of that. It was like watching, almost like watching a new movie for me. Then if that's all we remember, what were your favorite parts from the movie? If there was any memory of your older self, but what were your favorite parts, I guess, when you were re-watching this movie? Yeah, besides those last 30 minutes, which is just like, I want to say porn to a certain extent. It's just so satisfying that finally it all comes to this. You can expect it as well. And you're like, ah, here it is. They're suffering. It's we so learned funny. something about Daniel tonight as well. <laughs> okay. That's not how I meant it, but sure. <laughs> it's the climax of the movie, if I can say. One, one thing that I really enjoyed was the pizza delivery scene where he plays like the, the, the whole movie through the door and how this pizza every guy is just so panicked and just falls over and runs like a crazy person who is it 
It's Little Nero, sir. I have your pizza. Leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. Okay. Um, but what about the money? What money? Well, you'd have to pay for your pizza, sir. That effect. How much do I owe you? Uh, that'll be eleven eighty, sir. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Cheapskate. Hey, I'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. That was hilarious. Uh, that's my favorite bit of the movie, I think. It's stupid, but it's my favorite bit. I was watching that as uh, like I was watching that, and there are two scenes where they he, I think they use the same same soundtrack, and this people still think that you know someone's shooting. One is with the pizza delivery guy. One is with the thief Marv. Right? He also thinks someone's shooting at him. Yeah. And I was I was while I was watching that, I was thinking, of course they thought someone was shooting because it's the U.S. I feel like if someone were to do something <laughs> like that, you know, like over here, I'm like people would think they're watching a movie. Like that would be the first. <laughs> That's where your brain would go. Like they wouldn't think someone has a gun. The most American thing, right? So uh, the know. second time he at least used firecrackers next to the door. At least right. it was more uh, realistic. I will say that at that point. So I think there's a third one where the guy sticks his head through the, mm-hmm. I guess, the pet door, and then he pops him in the head with his, I guess, air gun or whatever that is. But the whole time I was thinking, this is America. That might not have been a fake gun. <laughs> and it would have been legally allowed. Like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, a whole uh, castle defense kind of doctrine or something, right? And your ground, right? We, we're all such legal experts in American law right now. It's amazing. <laughs> that, that would be a very different movie, though. But if when, he, when he, he shot, when he realizes uh, that he's, he's alone and then right away he goes for the gun, that's one of the very first things that he does. And you're like, what the hell? Is this like a real gun? I completely forgot it was an air gun. Or For a while, I thought... He's going around with a, a real gun. That's just... I don't think that they had the scene with the toy soldiers and the, just to establish that, hey, we're, we're crazy, but not that crazy. It's still a movie for the family. But it would be a very different movie if like Marv put his head through the, the kitty door and then Kevin just blasted him in his face with an actual gun. Yes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> Yes, that would have been very, very different. And just, there was a movie that was, that inspired that, right? So uh, there was a, a couple of retrospectives that I checked out uh, while after watching the movie. And there was one that he said he was inspired by called ah, Straw Dogs. And that the, the director basically said, let's make Straw Dogs for kids. And I watched a clip of Straw Dogs where it's basically a home invasion movie. The main guy has to deal with the jealous boyfriend, ex-boyfriend of his wife, who's basically gathered a bunch of people and is invading. And it's basically the same movie except with actual blood. Again, there's a shotgun, he shoots him, uh, you know, he falls out the window, half his foot is blown off, which this movie is, except it's sanitized, it's turned into a cartoon and all the violence is cartoonized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the only one I remember, to be honest, when I was the, the last part, right? The last 25 minutes, the climatic aspect of it. Um, so when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. You can see like, you know, there's a little bit, like, his mom is actually panicking. She's doing her best to get back to him in an age when, uh, you know, mobile phones didn't exist. You know, his family, I get, okay, his family, apparently they don't care so much, I guess, mostly. Um, but, you know, he's finding himself, he's finding his voice, he's finding out that he loves his family and misses them and so on. So it's kind of heartwarming. And then the violence begins and he's like, it's this slow build up to it. And then he's doing all these things and you're like, oh my God, that looks pretty dangerous. And then it starts, you're like, holy shit, he's, this is violent. 
This is violent as heck. This is really violent. Also, the thieves are really stupid. So I don't know if the last part was now my favorite part. I think um, I, in many ways, tonally, I preferred the first three quarters of the movie. It's very Tom and Jerry-esque, right? The the violence. Yes. Because that's when I was watching it, I was like, this is very much Tom and Jerry. Because you wouldn't... I can't imagine them making a kid's movie like this today. Mm-hmm. Not that there was any blood, but there was a fair amount of... I think the first thing that happens... Or, well, that happened. The first bit of violence is he shoots him in the nuts, right? Like out, out of the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that yes. they start with that. Like that is... Yeah. That is ballsy, you know, to... Pardon the pun, but... Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, that, how, where do you go from here, right? Like, that's, that's what you lead up to. Such a Tom and Jerry-esque last half part of the movie. But it was very fun to watch. If you like science, you can also listen to Lefteris's podcast called Lefteris Ask Science, which is literally what he does. He asks scientists about what they do. He asks them about how they do their science, why they're doing it, and what makes it interesting for you. And he does it in a way that makes it uh, accessible to even the least academically inclined listener. So, you know, if you like science and you want to know more about the world around you, take a listen at lefteriskask.com. Okay, again, if you try to remember how were you thinking when you were eight years old, the ideas that Kevin has are frightening. And mm-hmm. what makes it freakishly frightening is at the end when the two burglars are in the cop car, Kevin is in the window smiling and waving like the Queen of England. <laughs> yes. Horror <laughs> movies. Oh. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> He turns and he looks at Kevin, right? And his face is like beaten up. Like you can see that he's he's in, like his eyes swollen and something else and he can barely move his mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, that is horrifying. But, but what, what yeah. was your favorite part of the movie, Jester? I enjoyed the preparation for the violence. I enjoyed all the, the montage of like, my dad is an engineer. My mom was studying to become an engineer. Like I grew up around that environment. So like the idea of like having the, especially when I was young, watching an eight-year-old kid building traps, that was very um, exciting for me to watch. Uh, but then yesterday, I think I'm more so with Kim. I enjoyed like the, the build, the whole, like the first three quarters of the movie, the build up was like, oh, the parents are like kind of horrible. I, I, I still am not not sure how many brothers and sisters Kevin had. I know Buzz yeah. was his brother, uh, but then everybody else is like, the uncle is despicable. Look I what you it. did, you little jerk. It makes you feel any better. I forgot my reading classes. He kind of mm-hmm. also looks like Gru from Despicable Me. <laughs> <laughs> Either the cousin or the sister is worrying about Kevin, and then Buzz is like, there are three reasons why I am not afraid. You're not at all worried that something might happen to him. No. For three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D, we live in the most boring street in the United States of America, where nothing even remotely dangerous will ever happen. Period. Can we talk about Buzz for a second? Because obviously Buzz is supposed to be the the older brother who's a bully. He looks the part. I don't know how they found this guy who looks like, mm-hmm. you look at him and he's like, he's a douche. And he's an, <laughs> he's an ass, you know, he, he, does, he can't play like an angelic kid. Like, yeah, he's going to be yeah. a dick. That's basically what he is. Yeah. And it's like, where did they find this guy? Like, that is such brilliant. That was the best casting of the whole movie. I thought like, they couldn't have made Buzz <laughs> except that guy. 
But my favorite mo- part of the movie is the opening sequence. I thought where they where they just enter into this chaotic house with the family just you're not quite sure what exactly is happening and everyone's like walking around the house there's this absolute chaos and everyone's talking to you you you're entering like m- the middle of conversations. So I thought it was scripted really well. You just get a sense of exactly what the energy of the family is, the chaos, the dynamic, and the other favorite scene, which was, which I, I, I remember from my childhood. And it, again, I couldn't stop laughing when I saw it yesterday. Was when the spider gets dropped on Marv's face. And Marv's scream, it just sounded so authentic. It just didn't sound mm. like, That's true. <laughs> yes. It sounded so horrifying. It was so funny. Oh my God. But yeah, that's one of the most authentic screams I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So I think the part with the crowbar afterwards where he tries to hit the spider on uh, Joe Pesci's, like, I think that's my favorite slapstick moment. What are you doing, Marv? Mary, don't move. Marv? Don't. Marv, what are you doing? Come on. Did I get him? Did I get him? Where is it? Where is it? Never mind, I just get it. How do you like it, huh? You jerk! And then oh, the, the fact that afterwards, like, did I get it? And then he just, like, moves his, like, it's on my neck, it's on my neck. <laughs> But who was who would you say is your favorite character? Because my favorite character from the movie is Joe Pesci, Harry. I just thought that he was menacing when he needed to be, but he was also like so clumsy. And there was a moment where I think in the beginning, of, at the beginning of the climax, where he gets where he gets shot in, in the in the nuts, and then Marv starts asking like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And he just makes these noises, and I'm like, I don't know whose choice that was. It was so stupid, but it was just <laughs> I'm like, why are you doing that? But it just was. It showed the range of Harry as a as a character. Mm-hmm. I think we got to learn a little bit more about him. I really enjoyed it, and he's always angry. And I, I thought that was just just a great role for someone like Joe Pesci because I've seen him in other stuff. Uh, and this is just you would he would be the last person I would think of to have in a in a movie like this in a role like that. So I really liked Harry's character. Out of the stupidity of the two, I do enjoy more uh, Marv because I don't know the fact that we need to have a calling card as <laughs> bandits. <laughs> yes, this is amazing. <laughs> yes. We're yes. the wet bandits. <laughs> yes. Why do you do that? I told you not to do it. Harry, it's our calling card. Calling card. All the great ones leave their mark. We're the wet bandits. What a great name. I love it. <laughs> the wet bandits. Which, by the and way, in the French version of the movie, they translated as casseur flotteur, who doesn't mean much, but is now the name of a famous rap band. Because nice. Flow, f- flot, which is like a, a slang term for water, also sounds like the flow. They named themselves this, and I was like, "What?" When I heard the name, I thought the connection was too too big to 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 not be uh, to not come from there. So I looked it up, and yeah, yeah, well, they chose the name from there. So I guess it was also a, a childhood movie uh, favorite for uh, some rappers in France. However, I wanted to add that I don't enjoy two more characters, two very secondary characters, like the old guy Marley. He's like the definition mm-hmm. of like looks can be deceiving. 
I don't know. He's a very the, uh, the guy with the shovel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just like I enjoyed like I'm just like putting salt on the road. Like I did not kill anybody mm-hmm. with my shovel. <laughs> yes. And then he has that very like heartwarming uh, scene at the end with his son and his grandchildren and polka 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 yes, that, yes. the polka guy is also very um wholesome as a character because like hey i feel you're going there we can take you on our on our, on our tour bus and like, i'm playing the clarinet do you want to play the clarinet while i just that i was just playing polka 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 no it, twin lakes polka damavuji polka aka kiss me polka polka twist have you seen the whole franchise? Yeah, I think so. Not like not because I was planning to. Like, oh, I'm such a big fan. I'm gonna watch one through five. But just like it happened. I haven't heard good things about the other four. I haven't heard anything about um, the other four. Second one. The second one is nice. The second one is still okay. Yeah. The only thing I heard about the second one is that I think Donald Trump makes like a five second appearance. I guess of all the movies so far, this. Um, I guess Jurassic Park, Lion King, and Home Alone—they all spawned, uh, you know, future sequels mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success, right? Just clearly, Jurassic Park is kind of like a second-tier Star Wars at this point. Lion King is a lot of straight-to-video stuff, whereas Home Alone just four sequels of drag, like the worst kind of sequels. <laughs> I guess they were so successful at the time that that's where that's where the kind of cultural and commercial sense it made to to uh, create more of it. Uh, came about except Home Alone was like how you don't do it whereas Jurassic Park is very much like oh yeah this is uh, how you spawn more more good things did yes. you realize that he ordered a pizza using his phone he called the cops using his phone so clearly the phones were working probably not right away but the phones were working at some point throughout this movie before the family point. shows up at the door. But the logic clearly is that in it took it, it was down for precisely the amount of time he needed for them to not be able to call back and then he could then call the cops. Yep. Obviously, right? But the pizza <laughs> that we calls for pizza, that's on the second night. I'm not sure if I have the time right correct, but I think it's on the second night that he calls for pizza. On the third night, they come a first time and they see the party on, on the at the windows. And on the fourth night is the, the heist where, where they where they try to enter the house, right? So there are four nights in total. I'll be honest, I wasn't paying that much attention to the <laughs> but nice catch. Nice catch. I think it is definitely an error. But yeah, second night, I'm like, ah, how did he order the pizza? That's probably how. And then we actually see him on the phone on the last night. So I'm like, okay, definitely the phones are working now again. A lift, when it, when it falls down the shaft, there's so many redundancies, right? You clearly need more than that if you're going to have like a, that big a family. They know that Kevin only eats cheese pizza and everybody in the kitchen is like, yeah, you little twerp, you're like a, a waste of space. Calm the fuck down. Yep. <laughs> He's eight. <laughs> And he yeah. hadn't done anything up till that point to deserve that kind of treatment. I was like, yes, like, go fix your bags. We're traveling to Paris. He's eight. No. He asks for help. He's like, I have, I've never packed anything. <laughs> oh my God, Imran, somebody's in your house. They're stealing your kitchenware. Have, have you brief dropped your house, uh, Imran? Careful. <laughs> the, the weird thing was I heard it in my headphones. I'm like, I'm not quite sure who that is now. Is it one of you or me? <laughs> <laughs> He asks for help and he gets turned down by literally everyone and he gets insulted yep. in French on top of it. Listen, Kev, what are you so worried about? You know mom's gonna pack your stuff anyway. You're what the French call les incompetents. I feel like when you get insulted in French, it hurts just, just a little bit more. How do, do they know? translate that in, uh, in the French version? I don't know because I'm not too sure exactly what part you're referring to. But I know <laughs> that when they travel to France, they're like, they have these conversations with people where it feels like someone is just stupid. 
where I imagine that in English it's just that because they speak in different languages, but in French, they both speak French. And it's like, why can't they communicate? That's just weird. <laughs> and at some point they're watching the TV, I think, when they are in this apartment somewhere in Paris. And the kids are like looking at each other, like they don't know what's going on. And again, the TV is in French. So I imagine it's in French for you guys as well. In, and you're like, what? <laughs> that just makes no sense. I mean, I didn't catch it the first times, obviously, but this time I was like, ah, that's probably why. <laughs> There's a scene in France, I think the part where they're trying to find a phone and I'm, I'm watching that and I'm like, just yeah. thinking, oh man, these damn Americans. Like She just charges up to this lady yes. at the phone, give me the phone, and she starts pulling at her handset. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then the other kids are also like bum rushing the, the woman who's just like, I'm on the phone. What are you doing? Which makes perfect sense. And then she just snatches it away and then tells the person, oh, she's going to have to call you back. At, at this point, the French woman is just fleeing in terror at these asshole Americans who yes. would have, there's no reason for them to even behave like that. They're just being assholes. I was like watching, I was like, what's, what's going on? Why would... Why are they acting like this? In today's day and age, that would be like recorded and uploaded to social media like very, very quickly. And, you know, we'd have an online discussion about privilege mm -hmm. and imperialism and stuff like that. You kind of understand. Like she was like in a 12-hour flight. I don't even know how long the flight must have been. Elodie made a comment about the airport. That flight would not have landed there. International flights don't land at that fucking airport. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> maybe in 1990. That's maybe. I don't know at that time. But for the past 20 years, definitely not. It would not have been there. <laughs> but anyway, like there was like a 12-hour flight. She's worried about her child. I, I would understand a bit of excessive force. Like, give me that damn phone. Like, I need to call mm. somebody. Okay. Even though that she could obviously have been nicer to the lady who also might have had some very, a very important discussion. Telling the eight-year-old to go pack his bag, and which, which is fine. It would have been like a very uh, nice, like teachable moment for the kid. Like learn mm -hmm. how to pack your bags for an overnight check that the kid took the correct things because if i was eight i would take like my power rangers and my stuffed teddy bear and pizza because it's gonna be a long flight <laughs> but no not, nothing like that happened and the dad is completely disinterested the dad is like oh <laughs> yes. you're worrying too much oh you want to sleep at the airport for two nights Oh, that's cool. Don't worry. I'll just go like somewhere with the kids and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. He's like so chill about it to the point where you're like, what are they trying to say? Like the guy should not care or what? Yeah. I mean, compared to him, like the, the late, the, the mom looks amazing. Yes. Like yes. at least she's trying and she remembers. He doesn't remember, right? She's the one who goes like, Kevin! Kevin! And he's like, hmm, hmm. Mm. Yes. In case you're all interested in Home Alone 4, the parents do break up. <gasps> ah, Big surprise. They are broken up, so it's not surprising after, after watching Home Alone 1. Although you will also, I guess, by the same logic, if there are five Home Alones, he was left Home Alone five times. Let's, let's say something. It's not the same yeah, kid, it, right? It, it is, it is. Oh my god. <laughs> I think Home Alone, I think if I remember correctly, Home Alone 5 is actually did it a year before Home Alone 1. Yeah, it's a prequel, but it's it's a prequel. But like Kevin is like seven, but it's in 2012. Like it's a prequel, but dated 20 years later. If that makes any sense, it's a prequel reboot. Yeah, kind of. Did they ever class clarify what the parents actually do for a living? Because they seem to be extremely well off. Transport. Yeah. Transport. Transport? Yes. 
don't know what that means precisely. Just says transport and then like, oh, look at our amazing house, basically. Like, we are in transport. She explains that to the, the fake policeman at the start. Because they have like this massive house, and there's all this food, and they have like a billion kids, and then they're flying to France for the whole family, and they have first class tickets, and I'm like, clearly they're doing fine. So we've talked a lot about a lot of different things. I'd like to know from you, what has aged well and what hasn't aged well? Macaulay Culkin has aged fine now. Yeah, he's gone uh, through a journey. I can't even imagine what life must have been as like a 10-year-old, right? Living your childhood and adolescence as, as the kid from home alone must be not very nice. Yeah, I mean, eventually, apparently, he emancipated himself from his parents. It's, it was that kind of a, of a journey for him. Also, his, his, his dad was pretty abusive, I think. And then um, they, he basically tried to hothouse him into stardom so that he could benefit from that. So he's oh, aged well, all, all things considered. To be, to be fair, there was a period of time where we were wor- I was worried that he might not age at all. So the fact that he aged is like, hey, it's a win. What, what hasn't aged well for you, you left Terrace? You said earlier that you would not be able to make this movie, like a similar movie, like like, but not in terms of like technology, but, but in terms of violence. Yeah. I don't think I agree because the execution was the fact that like Joe Pesci and yeah, Daniel Stern, they executed the comedy so well well even though like that scene where he his foot goes through the The nail number one the fact that you don't see the nail go through is a plus they save that even that it's funny in the end because like of how he deals with it so i don't think that if they would do a similar movie right now with comedians that are good at doing slapstick the, 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 the scene with the nail in the stair, it's weird because I remember it differently. Like I, I knew that that was coming up when I saw the movie and I was like, oh my God, the, the nail's going to go through his foot and that's going to be so awful. And I remember, I, in my head, I visualized the nail going through his foot and I, that's what I remember. And then I saw, they never actually show that. They don't show any blood. They don't show anything. I think my brain just filled in blanks where there were blanks and uh, traumatized me for that. I'm like, I can't believe, because in my head, I was like, I can't believe they showed that in a, in a kid's movie and they didn't, they didn't show anything. I think the violence did get to me a little bit. And so I went to look it up. Old, some old um, clips like Buster Keaton or Chaplin. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it's, it's also violent, but it's, it's delivered in a, in a different way. I think there's, there's a different quality to that execution, which makes this, for me, not aged that well. Uh, it's just I remembered this scene about the nail in the stairs just made me think of another movie, which is A Quiet Place. Very different context, obviously, but... Now I finally remember what it made me think of. I can't remember exactly what happens at that point, but clearly she needs to be quiet. She goes up the stairs and there is this nail sticking out. And when I saw the movie, I was like, huh, that looks familiar. And I just remembered what it was. So I guess they still do this in movies nowadays. It's just a very different context. Yeah, I haven't seen (laughs) A Quiet Place, but yeah, I can't think that they would classify it as a slapstick comedy. I mean, it's honestly, if you look at Quiet Place and then you overlaid a uh, Benny Hill soundtrack. That works, yeah, that works. Slapstick is its own thing, right? And I think that's quite uh, universal and it's, it's, it's a style that stays, uh, well, in its own kind of little niche, right? I'm not sure that it worked particularly well for me in this one. And I think in, in later, in looking at its inspirations and whatnot, I think that's that's why. Like, even when, for example, you're seeing the flamethrower, all I could think of were like, oh, those are at least second degree burns right there. 
you know, and it's and it's violence. It's very clearly violence that is then instead of the comedians, the actors, uh, you know, dealing with it in their with their physicality and whatnot. It is essentially plot armor that deflects the blow so that it's not fatal. But all any of them could have been otherwise, right? The iron could have been fatal easily. The flamethrower easily fatal. You know, with a hot uh, doorknob like that, you're gonna leave skin on that doorknob. The whole movie feels very much like the a kid's vision of what pain is like and and what what all those things are gonna do to to people. Who, even the way the film is shot, in a way, it feels like they've shot it from a kid's angle almost like some of the camera angles feels like they're i really got from the movie that yeah okay this we're in this kid's imagination to a certain extent a lot of it is just not real and probably that's how he would retell the story but that's not how it actually happened so i think that would make a great sketch right which is like we see the whole movie and that's the way he remembers it because he's, we see it through his kid's eye and then we see exactly the same thing again through like an adult's eye and that would look terrible because yeah just like you're saying this is this is painful and absolutely fatal and horrible those guys should have died right away uh i think the the general sense it's a christmas movie because of the first one and a half parts of it and i guess the the climax when he he does a good thing for the shovel guy Right, he he makes a connection over and despite his uh, Buzz's best efforts. Uh, so that a lot of the those elements, you know, they're, they're fine. Like there are people who help other people in there. Whether it's the polka band or the fake uh, Santa, who you know he's knocking off for the year basically. But he's you know okay. I'll, let me let me spend a minute with this kid. You know, so those are those are the things that worked out nicely. It's just that twenty twenty five minute thing tonally is so different on the rest of the movie. Yeah, sure. I can see where you're coming from uh, about that. I think, okay, one question I did have, though, uh, before I come to you, Daniel, is there was one part of the movie which is about the, the, the church scene, right, where he goes to the church and he meets the old guy. That felt very weird. Like, it came, like, out of nowhere and sort of nothing was leading up to it as such. And then it... Yeah, there is definitely nothing that leads up to that moment. It's just, okay, it's a Christmas movie, so... We need to have a church at some point and it needs to be a place where he's going to confront his fears and he's going to be a nice person and he's going to learn about a stranger. And yeah, and it's just there and probably useless, except for the fact that I guess it's the only moment when he, he feels safe enough to connect with this guy who has been described as a serial killer to him. The main thing for me in that scene is the church is empty. There are people singing. There's about 20 people <laughs> singing. On Christmas Eve, and there is absolutely no one in the entire church except for like three people. Why are these people singing? What's what's going on? Yeah, I think they were all on holiday. <laughs> they have established that most people in their street are not there. But so who's this choir? Who are those people singing? Why are they singing like this? I don't know how churches are like, organized in the U.S., but yeah, maybe, maybe it's like a from di neighbor different neighborhoods around, and then yeah, or possibly a, a it is weird or something or a late late night service. Or yeah, just technically, the, services happen anyway on the church. Or maybe just the, the 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 poor kids who couldn't afford to go on holiday. So what what's aged well and not so well for you, Daniel? I wouldn't say that it aged badly or it aged well. It definitely would not be remade the same way for reasons that we've discussed. I think the violence would be shown differently probably most likely the father would be a bit more involved 
But overall, it works, right? If you put yourself in the shoes of a kid who doesn't understand very much the world and what his actions can lead to, then makes sense. His parents disappear because he wished them away. Cool, yeah, let's buy into that. All those sort of things happen. Sure, let's buy into that. If you start to see the movie from, from this angle, then it makes sense. And even if phones were working in a way and he had a cell phone, Well, it's not like he really wants to see his parents. So would he have texted them? Or would he have cared about his parents leaving? Probably would have cared, but that works. I have a podcast too, and it's called Geniuses, Poets, and Artists, and it's uh, run by the Improv Company. And what I do in that podcast is talk to improvisers from Singapore uh, about what they do, why they like improv, and how it's made a positive impact in their life. So if you'd like to learn from all kinds of different people, we've got actors, mothers, uh, writers, engineers. I think there's a financial engineering guy in there somewhere, and uh, also ranging from PhDs to science communicators to Greek men. You can take a listen to Geniuses, Poets, as an artist. Sometimes you can find all of them in one person. So before we go, I want to quickly talk about whether this movie is peak Macaulay Culkin or not. I think it's fairly obvious that it is. I mean, uh, I haven't, I don't think I've seen anything else. Same here. Uh, I think the, yeah, I think the basic answer is yes. So that, that I think that's yes. an easy one. What I want to check with you is, this was the same year that Joe Pesci came in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. And I don't know if any of you have seen that. Oh, yes. That mm-hmm. is yes. my favorite Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. Wait, he, he did this movie in the same year as that? 1990. Yeah, it was the same year. A bit different. Uh, so in the space of a couple of months, it was first, I think it was first Goodfellas. And then in December around Christmas was this movie. So where does this rank as Joe Pesci's best i feel like that's the more interesting question here that that's that's a i mean hard if you got to compare goodfellas to this i'm going to i'm going to have to say goodfellas <laughs> is like a couple of leagues better yes yes but what we're also like kind of apples to oranges i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah for sure 100% so yeah you can't really compare the two they're not it's a bit like saying hey is yeah like literally is this apple better than this orange and you're like oh. but i don't know i think as a comedy let's say let's say joe pesci as a comedy actor i think i, I liked him more in lethal weapon than this ooh lethal weapon so check that yes. out if we if i just go through his his filmography right 1980 raging bull 1984 Once Upon a Time in America 1989 Lethal Weapon 2 1990 Goodfellas and Home Alone 1992 My Cousin Vinny uh, and Lethal Weapon 3 and Home Alone 2 and then 1995 Casino to fluctuate very violently between the mafioso you know stereotype kind of roles yeah. and then these sort of slapsticky hilarious type of films well My Cousin Vinny maybe not slapstick but it's still a comedy movie So he's got right he's got some range. I would say he's been typecast in two roles basically yes. at this point. <laughs> Which is not bad. You know he and he's done good work. I was just so surprised to know to find out that Goodfellas and Home Alone came out in the same year. And he won an Academy Award for best supporting actor in uh in Goodfellas. So he won oh so he won an Academy Award in 1990 for Goodfellas and then he was in the movie that was the biggest movie of the year in 1990. So I think 1990 was just a good year for him. Yeah, he did well. He did well in this movie. Yeah, Marv 
Stern again uh, did really well and I think they carried the movie I mean yes it's about Michaela Kalkin but without the two of them I think it'd be very very different has anybody heard uh, his uh, music Joe Pesci music what no I haven't yeah, like, what? he quit being an actor like at the late of like 1999 or something to become a musician sings wow wow I think the one album I've heard is like jazz comedy thing is that well, a, we probably won't remember him for this, but <laughs> yes, obviously, maybe but, uh, that's our mistake. He, ah, I did not know. In 2019, he released an album called Pesci Still Singing. <laughs> That's an accurate title, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Oof. Uh, there's a reception under the Wikipedia entry. says, Critic Michael Gallucci of All Music gave the album a negative review and a rating of one star out of a possible five. With that, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you so much, Jester. Thank you so much, Daniel. And that's a wrap for episode three. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. I think our episodes are getting shorter. Hopefully, they're getting better. And if you have any more questions about this episode or any of the other podcasts or projects that Monocene Studios does, please visit monocenestudios.com. Join us next time for Toy Story. Monocene Studios.